everybody. It's Thursday, my favorite day of the week. Um, well, today we are already into chapter 10, if you can believe it. Um, the chapters have all just been so short. They've been flowing by. Um, flying by is the expression. I don't know why I said flowing. I actually know why I said flowing. Never mind. I said flowing because I was thinking about the Lady of the Lake, um, which is a poem by Sir Walter Scott who was part of the Romantic movement, and we are going to hear reference to him today. So that's why I was rereading The Lady of the Lake. It's a beautiful poem. Um, very, very romantic. Um, you know, the old chivalry in it, and it's um, doomed to disaster and the fates, and it's, it, oh, it's, it's just, it's good. It's a good one. Um, so Sir Walter Scott was by far the most popular poet of the day until Lord Byron appears on the scene a few years later. Um, so Byron published, I think his first work in 1812. I'm going to have to double check that. But, um, so until Byron got out there, uh, Scott was totally the most popular and he was a novelist and a poet. Um, he was so, he was a contemporary writer of Jane Austen's and as it happens, we know he was a fan of Jane Austen's, um, though he criticized her for her narrow feminine view of the world and subject matters. Um, because of course, you know, he's writing about these grand histories and things like that. And she's writing little romance novels. Mm. You know, so he criticizes her for that, but, um, he was a fan of hers, which I think is pretty cool. Um, pretty interesting. Anyway, so I'll hear a reference to him today and Cooper. Um, I will read you a Sir Walter Scott quote because it's one that I think is pretty no known well, at least the first part of it. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Um... And that tangled web we weave thing, you know, that's that's pretty well-known line, I think. Um, anyway, so that's Cooper. We'll talk about, or Scott, Sir Walter Scott, and we'll talk about him today. Um, there was a, a banking collapse in 1825, so you're looking past the period of these Jane Austen novels. Um, but it's towards these people's, the end of a lot of the romantics um, the early romantics, the end of their lives, and a lot of them are heavily affected by the banking collapse. And um, Sir Walter Scott was one of those who had rather a sad, unfortunate end of um, dying. And I think he was broke when he died. You know, sad and all too relatable. <laughs> We've lived through a few banking collapses of our own, haven't we? Um, Anyway, so we will, I think that's my only chapter note for today. Um, other than that, I think everything else that's going on today, we've talked about before about, you know, you, you shouldn't show all of your emotions and Marianne's an emotional girl and that's going to be a major point throughout the novel. Um, but so I don't think I'll need to keep referring to it. I'm sure you guys have are all following that point along. So we'll get started today with chapter 10. Mm -hmm. 
Marianne's preserver, as Margaret, with more elegance than precision, stilled Willoughby, called early at the cottage the next morning to make his personal inquiries. He was received by Mrs. Dashwood with more than politeness, with a kindness which Sir John's account of him and her own gratitude prompted, and everything that passed during the visit tended to assure him of the sense of elegance, mutual affection, and domestic comfort of the family to whom he, whom accident had now introduced him. Of their personal charms, he had not required a second interview to be convinced. Miss Dashwood, meaning Eleanor, had a delicate complexion, regular features, and a remarkably pretty figure. Marianne was still handsomer. Her form, though not so correct as her sister's in having the advantage of height, was more striking. Her face was so lovely that when in the common cant of praise she was called a beautiful girl, and truth was less violently outraged than usually happens. Her skin was very brown, but from its transparency her collect complexion was uncommonly brilliant. Her features were all good, her smile was sweet and attractive, and her eyes, which were very dark, there was a life, a spirit, an eagerness, which could hardly be seen without delight. Okay, when they call her skin very brown, they do not in any way mean that she is of mixed heritage and she, like, literally has brown skin. She's just not a very, very pale girl. Um, probably because Marianne does spend a lot of time out of doors, um, especially since they've been here, there's not been a lot else to do. So, um, and yet you'd try and wear your bonnet and you'd wear gloves and, cl uh, all your proper coverings, but in general, she would be called brown because she wasn't milk white. Um, and Pride and Prejudice, they mentioned that Elizabeth Bennett had gotten a little brown from traveling in the summer and... I just had that feeling that it didn't take very much color on someone's face to be called brown, um, and it's just a light tan. I, personally, have no idea what a tan is. I have two shades, lightly pink and very pink. Those are, those are my shades. <laughs> um, I, I would love to be called brown um that's never gonna be one of the descriptive words the nicest word i ever heard somebody call my skin tone was seashell pink you know like the inside of a of a seashell how it's like creamy white and pink at the same time the nicest description i've ever heard used of my skin tone i use it constantly when i'm trying to describe white pink people like myself in writing um anyway so brown yes from Willoughby, their expression at first was held back, it, but by the embarrassment which, which the remembrance of assistance created. But when this passed away, when her spirits became collected, and when she saw that to the perfect good breeding of the good gentleman, he united frankness and vivacity, and above all, when she heard him declare that music and dancing he was passionately fond, she gave him a look of such approbation as secured the largest share of his discourse to herself for the rest of his stay. It was only necessary to mention any favorite amusement to engage her to talk. She could not be silent when such points were introduced, and she had neither shyness nor reserve in their discussion. They speedily discovered that their enjoyment of dancing and music was mutual, and that it arose from a great general conformity of judgment in all that related to either— Encouraged by this to a further examination of his opinions, she proceeded to question him on the subject of books. Her favorite authors were brought forward and dwelt on with rapturous delight. 
that any young man of five and twenty must have been insensible indeed not to become an immediate convert in the excellence of such works, however disregarded before. Their taste was strikingly alike. The same books, the same passages were idolized by each, or if any difference appeared, any objection arose, it lasted no longer till the force of her arguments and the brightness of her eyes could be displayed. He acquiesced in all her decisions, caught in her enthusiasm, and long before his visit concluded, they conversed with the familiarity of a long-established acquaintance. Do you know people like this? I know people like this who are just like, so vivacious and bright that you just can't help yourself liking them and even though okay well i did like this passage better okay you 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 expressed it so sweetly when you defended your side and you're so cool and nice to look at that i'll just get okay whatever you say hun you know do you know people like that i know very few people like that but i do know a couple people like that who just have that amazing sway of personality um that could convince a, ooh, I forgot to mute my phone. That could convince a whole room to change their opinions. Um, it's an amazing talent. Uh, and Marianne uses hers just to express her love of books and stuff. You know, she's not trying to be tricksy and go into politics with that type of personality. I think a lot of times you find politicians have that type of personality. Um, just because that it is very convenient for a lawmaker um, to be able to sway a whole group of people with a single expression. Um, and you know, she's just being sweet and unaffected, to use the term we learned yesterday, uh, which is even better. Well, Marianne, said Eleanor as soon as he'd left them, for one morning I think you've done pretty well. You have already ascertained Mr. Willoughby's opinion in almost every matter of importance. You know what he thinks of Cooper and Scott. You are certain of his estimating their beauties as he ought, and you have received every assurance of his admiring Pope no more than is proper. Ooh! I forgot to mention William Pope in my intro. Oh, oh, poor Pope. I left him out, didn't I? Okay, I forgot if I rang my... I had to pause for a second and look up his name because I knew it wasn't William. It's Alexander Pope. And Pope was a poet of the neoclassical movement, which preceded the Romantic movement. Um, neoclassical, as in they were fond of the Greeks and the Romans. And the neoclassical movement is a very interesting movement, not just um, in literature, but it influenced a lot of fashion and architecture. You get all these Greek columns all over England. Um you get ladies who wear very Grecian-style outfits. Um, anyway, but... So the neoclassical movement was a good one. It was one of philosophy and order. Um, I, I, I like the neoclassical movement, but when you moved into the romantic movement, um, poets like Pope, who had been popular, really fell out of style very quickly because the romantic movement is so the opposite of philosophy and order. It's all about sincerity and emotion and the last thing you want to do is sit down and read this book of theoretical poetry that is philosophical yeah has a i that word has just tripped me up suddenly i can't say it philosophical turn to it um and so actually as you move into the romantic era pope is considered no longer really a poet as such as it was considered um 
just a uh, philosopher. He was he wasn't really called a poet anymore. He wrote some really great satirical pieces, which I really like. I would recommend looking up Pope's. But I I love satire. I'm like down for satire anytime. Um, there's yeah, sat- satire and I all have always been good friends. But um, so yeah, so Pope. That's why she says he likes Pope no more than his proper. I mean, he was a he was very good. He was a great writer. Um, you should like him, but he's not of the current era in literature, and so that's why no more than is proper. If you like Pope too much, he wouldn't be a true romantic, and that's what Marianne likes about him, is that he's a romantic like her. Um, he's definitely of the new era, um, so that's kind of Eleanor's joke there about Alexander Pope. Okay, um... So yes, so that was that was the that was the bit about Pope I should have put in the beginning. I should probably re-record, but guess what? I won't. Okay. But how extraordinary is your acquaintance to be long support? But how is your acquaintance to be long supported under such extraordinary dispatch of every subject for discourse? You will soon have exhausted each favorite topic. Another meeting will suffice to explain his sentiments on picturesque beauty, on second marriages, and then you can have nothing further to ask. <laughs> Eleanor! Sorry about that. That was my phone ringing. Um, certain people's calls, even though I had eventually muted my phone, some people I have, like, you know, placed on priority so their calls come through. I'm going to try and... And I forgot to mute my phone already. Oh my gosh. I'm going to try and remove the abrupt ringing of my phone from the podcast because unlike the little dings and pings of me forgetting to mute my phone, I know that ringing was probably alarming. Um, But I... Anchor has not been very easy for me to edit things out, uh, which is usually why I just kind of accept my recording as is and don't try and edit anything. I will give it a... Um, the old school try, um, just, but in case I failed, I'm mentioning it. Um, if I succeeded, then you have no idea what I'm talking about and I win. So, (laughs) okay, we're going to move on with the story. We were in the, Marianne was speaking to her sister. Eleanor, cried Marianne, is this fair? Is this just? Are my ideas too scanty? But I see what you mean. I've been too much at my ease, too happy, too frank. I've erred against every commonplace notion of decorum. I've been open and sincere where I ought to have been reserved, spiritless, dull, and deceitful. Had I talked only of weather and the roads, had I spoken only once in ten minutes, this reproach would have been spared. My love, said her mother, you must not be offended with Eleanor. She's only in jest. I should scold her myself if she were capable of wishing to check the delight of your conversation with our new friend. Marianne was softened for a moment. So Eleanor was not telling Marianne that she should have been spiritless, dull, and deceitful. But Eleanor was reminding Marianne that, yeah, you should have been a little less open. You chatted really openly about your thoughts and opinions when it was not a thing for young girls to do. Um, I'm going to again quote Pride and Prejudice. Elizabeth Bennett gets in trouble for um, speaking so decidedly for one so young. It just wasn't a thing for young ladies. Um, so Eleanor wasn't expecting Marianne to be 
unopinionated and totally closed off. But she was saying that you were really open with this guy and we really just met him. Um, you might be asking yourself, how did one ever get to know other people if young ladies are not supposed to talk to people? That is a good question. And my only answer is very, very slowly. <laughs> um, acquaintances were just formed really, really at a gentle, slow pace. Um, and oftentimes you did get married before you knew too much. There's a funny line again in Pride and Prejudice about it's better to get married to someone before you have spoken to them too much because uh, you'll know too many of their defects. Uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it, it was kind of a humor sort of take on the day's opinions about talking openly. Anyway. Willoughby, on his side, gave every proof of his pleasure in their acquaintance with an evident wish of improving it with which an evident wish of improving it could offer. He came to them the, every day to inquire after Marianne was his, first his excuse, but the encouragement of his reception, to which gave every day greater kindness, made an excuse unnecessary, for it had ceased to be possible by Marianne's perfect recovery. She was confined for some days to the house, but never had any confinement been less irksome. Willoughby was a young man of good abilities, quick imagination, lively spirits, and open affectionate manners. He was exactly formed to engage Marianne's heart, and for with all this he joined not only by captivating person, but a natural ardor of mind which was now roused and increased by the example of her own, and which recommended him to her affection beyond anything else. His society became gradually her most exquisite enjoyment. They read, they talked, they sang together, his musical talents were considerable, and he read with all the sensibility and spirit which Edward had unfortunately wanted. In Mrs. Dashwood's estimation, he was as faultless as in Marianne's, and Eleanor saw nothing to censure in him but a propensity in which he strongly resembled and particularly delighted of her sister, of saying too much what he thought on every occasion, without attention to persons or circumstances, in hastily forming and giving his opinion of other people, in sacrificing general politeness to the enjoyment of the undivided attention where his heart was engaged and in slighting too easily the forms of worldly propriety. He displayed a want of caution which Eleanor could not approve, in spite of all that he and Marianne could say in its support. Marianne began now to perceive that desperation which had seized her at sixteen and a half of ever seeing a man who could satisfy her ideas of perfection had been rash and unjustifiable. Willoughby was all that her fancy had delineated in that unhappy hour, and in every brighter period as capable of attaching her, and his behavior declared his wishes to be in that respect as earnest, and his ability as was strong. Her mother, too, in, her, in whose mind not one speculative thought of their marriage had been raised by prospect of his riches, was led before the end of a week to hope and expect it, and secretly congratulate herself with having gained two such son-in-laws as Edward and Willoughby. Colonel Brandon's partiality for Marianne, which had been so early discovered by their friends, now first became perceptible to Eleanor, when it ceased to be noticed by them. Their attention and wit were drawn off at a more fortunate rival, and their rivalry on the other, which the other had incurred before any partiality arose, was removed when his feelings began really to call for the ridicule so justly annexed to sensibility. 
Eleanor was obliged, though unwillingly, to believe that the sentiments which Mrs. Je Jennings had assigned to him for her own satisfaction were not actually expected, excited by her sister, and that, however, a general resemblance of disposition between the parties might forward affection of Mr. Willoughby, an equally striking opposition of character was no hindrance in the regard of Colonel Brandon. She saw it with concern, for what could a silent man of five-and-thirty hope when opposed to the very lively one of five-and-twenty? And she could not even wish him successful. She heartily wished him indifferent. She liked him, in spite of his gravity and reserve. She beheld him in an object of interest. His manners, though serious, were mild. His reserve appeared rather the result of some oppression of spirits than any natural gloominess of temper. Sir John had dropped hints to past injuries and disappointments, which justified her belief of his being an unfortunate man, and she regarded him with respect and compassion. Perhaps she pitied and esteemed him the more, because he was slighted by Willoughby and Marianne, who, prejudiced against him for being neither lively or young, seemed resolved to undervalue his merits. "'Brandon is the kind of man,' said Willoughby one day, when they were talking of him together, "'whom everybody speaks well of and nobody cares about, whom all are delighted to see and nobody remembers to talk to.' "'That is exactly what I think of him,' cried Marianne. "'Do not boast of it, however,' said Eleanor, "'for it is injustice in both of you. He is highly esteemed by all the family at the park, and I have never seen him myself without taking pains to converse with him.' "'Then he is patronized by you,' replied Willoughby. "'It is certainly in his favour, but as for the esteem of others, it is a reproach in itself. "'Who would submit to the indignity of being approved by such a woman as Lady Middleton and Mrs. Jennings "'that could command the indifference of everybody else?' "'But perhaps the abuse of people such as yourself and Marianne "'will make amends for the regards of Lady Middleton and her mother. "'If their praise is censure, your censure may be praise.' for they are not more undiscerning than you are prejudiced and unjust. In defense of your protégé, even you could be saucy. My protégé, as you call him, is a sensible man, and sense will always have attractions for me. Yes, Marianne, even in a man between thirty and forty. He has seen a great deal of the world, and has been abroad, has read, and has a thinking mind. I have found him capable of giving me such information on various subjects— and he always answers my inquiries with the readiness of good breeding and good nature. "'That is to say,' cried Marianne contemptuously, "'that he has told you that the East Indies, the climate is hot, and the mosquitoes are troublesome.' "'He would have told me I, so, I do not doubt, had I made any such inquiries. But they happened to be points on which I had been previously informed.' "'Perhaps,' said Willoughby, "'whose observations may have extended to the existence of Nanubes, Goldmores, and Pelicans.' "'I may venture to say that his observations have stretched much further than your candor. "'But why should you dislike him?' "'I do not dislike him. "'I consider him, on the contrary, as a very respectable man, "'who has everybody's good word and nobody's notice.' who has more money than he can spend, more time than he knows how to employ, and two new coats every year. Add to which, cried Marianne, that he has neither genius, taste, or spirit, that his understanding has no brilliancy, his feelings no ardor, his voice no expression. 
"'You decide on his imperfections, and so much in the mass,' Rose said Eleanor, "'and so much with the strength of your own imagination and condemnation that I am able to give him is comparatively cold and insipid. I can only pronounce him to be a sensible man, well-bred, well-informed, of gentle address, and I believe in possessing an amiable heart.' "'Miss Dashwood!' cried Willoughby. "'You are now using me unkindly. "'You are endeavouring to disarm me by reason "'and convince me against my will. "'But it will not do. "'You shall find me as stubborn as you can be artful. "'I have three unanswerable reasons "'for disliking Colonel Brandon. "'He has threatened me with rain "'when I wanted it to be fine. "'He has found fault with the hanging of my curricle, "'and I cannot persuade him to buy my brown mare.' If it will be any satisfaction to you, however, to be told that I believe his character to be in all other respects irreproachable, I am ready to confess it, and in return for an acknowledgment which must give me some pain, you cannot deny me the privilege of disliking him as much as ever. End chapter 10 All right. Well, that's a very interesting chapter. Here we see kind of the war between being swept up away by the new era of romanticism where our emotions are paramount and um, the old-fashioned views of politeness and guardedness and um, things like that are, are old hat. Um, so we see kind of this war happening between the sisters. Marianne is all about the new type of people who she just wants to, I just want to love what I love and love it strongly and everybody can know about it. And Eleanor is more about calm, sense, reason. She doesn't know Colonel Brandon well enough to pass a judgment on him, but she believes him possessing good qualities so she declares he's a good man marianne on the other hand who wants to see more vivaciousness before she declares anyone good or bad has decided he's bad just because he doesn't fit with her ideas of good at the first sight um so we're seeing this sort of division in the sisters and sort of two philosophical points of view you know which sister is right ultimately it's hard to say, although I'm sure we'll find out. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's definitely one thing. Jane Austen, I believe, was a romantic, but she also still believed in order, sense, calmness, um, peace of mind. She believed in a lot of these things that Marianne and Willoughby, in their excitement to be... Um, young and fun and vivacious have kind of given up and so it's kind of a yeah it, it's interesting the the two points of view which is why I say that when I was younger I feel like I was a lot more like Marianne I was a lot more like this is how I feel and that's just how it is uh and now that I'm a little older I realize that yeah there's a lot to be said for holding back just a little and not getting too carried away right away um 
So I think some of that comes from age and some of that comes from natural disposition. Like Marianne seems to be naturally disposed to be vivacious. And then when she's thrown in company of Mr. Willoughby, who's equally similar temperament, they kind of let themselves get carried away um, where they might not have individually. Um, And Eleanor, on the other hand, who's experienced her own disappointment, um, she didn't ever misjudge Edward. It sounded like she kind of realized that Edward... Um, knew that he had other obligations and wouldn't be paying his address to her, as they would have said back then. He wouldn't have been courting her. Um, she probably still felt very keenly that disappointment. And so Eleanor, who's already had a bit more of a worldly experience, is probably a little bit more knowledgeable in this respect. But she can't share that information with Marianne because she didn't want Marianne to get carried away and so we we just we're seeing some real differences between the two sisters. So it's going to be that's one of the fun things about sense and sensibility is seeing the two sisters and how those points of view evolve and change and what consequences it brings on both sisters. So I hope you're as interested as I am for that. What do you think of Mr. Willoughby? Um I would be in love with him so hard, so fast. I told you I was already going to be in love with him when he swept me up and carried me. But then to find out that he's likes all the same stuff that I like and, and then the stuff that I like that he doesn't like, he's willing to change his opinion just because I tried to sway him. Like, oh, yeah, hell, I'd be so in love with that. That would have been exactly the kind of thing that I would have fallen in love with when I was 17 still fall in love with a little bit now to be honest um (laughs) but yeah I I like Willoughby very much he seems very fun and especially for these girls coming as they did into this situation where they've been down in the world and they were making it work and they were trying to make it you know as good as they could oh no the rain started and I haven't moved my car Okay, sorry. Um, They've come down in the world. Things are not as good as they used to be. Now they also have to add in the fact that their company they're keeping, Lady Middleton, cold, insipid, doesn't want to talk much, doesn't have much to say. Mrs. Jennings, who's vulgar um, and just kind of annoying as a tease. Um, Sir John, who doesn't also has nothing to say really of any consequence. They're not in really exciting company. And so then to finally have a Willoughby, oh my gosh, you know, the difference. And I think to Marianne especially, she would feel that difference greatly because Eleanor's sense and a little bit more um, moderate temperament, she's more willing to just accept that those people are who they are. I'm going to go with the flow. We're all still going to get along. Marianne was a little bit more bothered by these people. And suddenly she has someone who not only is super fun to be around, but also says that he's bothered by those people. So she gets justification in her own feelings. Oh, yeah. I could see where Marianne would be especially open to falling in love at this point. So we'll have to keep an eye on that as we go. Um, Like I said, the rain has started. I have to move my car. (laughs) We're expecting hail and more down branches. And my car is under a big tree at the moment. So protected from hail, not so much from the branches. So I'm going to go move my car and I wish you all happy Thursday. Rainy weather is my favorite. So I'm delighted as soon as I can move my car. So wish me luck and I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Bye for now.